Every Sunday morning from 10 to 11 a.m. for the Turkish delight. As sweet as candy, but for your ears. Come take a mystical tour, journey through the world of Turkish rhythm and sound with us. This is Marit Aksu for the Turkish delight. Every Sunday morning from 10 to 11 a.m. where you'll hear music from Istanbul to Ankara, from Ardahan to Zonguldak. Music where the ancient crossroads between East and West the Turkish Delight on WCBN FM Ann Arbor 88.3 FM Sundays from 10 to 11 a.m. WCBN 88.3 FM. This has been Freeform with Eleanor. It's Wednesday, October 26th. Halloween coming up, kids. We heard Sevado Ride the Darker Wave. We heard Demolition Doll Rods, Down Home Girl. We heard Ministry Every Day is Halloween. We heard two tracks from Vicky off of the Hair Police Split. We heard No Date before that 800 Lies. Sword and Sandals dude from the EOC's Free Jazz Project, Untitled Track, MX80 Sound of Halloween. For that, keep it locked. Stick around for living writers. Oh, this is the Art Ensemble of Chicago. And, um, it's pretty rad. We have, uh, on side A, Walking in the Moonlight. So, uh, yeah. Living Riders coming up. T. Hetzel will be interviewing Laura Weatherington from her debut collection, A Map Predetermined and Chance. So, keep right here at WCBN. Tune in next week at 3 o'clock for Freeform with Eleanor here on WCBN. FM Ann Arbor.
انا انا مصريه مصريه كل انسان على وجه الارض مش احنا بس اللي المفروض نحاكم الظالم ده الطاغيه ده العالم كله المفروض يحاكمه لانه بيقتل في البشر Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, I'm so, so happy to have Laura Weatherington here in the studio, in person. Um, Laura Weatherington, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> hey, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, Laura, thanks for joining me here today for a conversation. Um, I'll I'll say that we're, we're taping the show. It's um, September 30th, 2011. Uh, Laura is here in town. She's been doing readings. Um, her first book, her debut collection, A Map, Predetermined and Chance, out this month with Fence Books. Laura, is it is it coming out this month? Is it or I I well uh, today's the thirtieth. Maybe next month. Oh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> when by the time people are listening to this, right, they can go and get a copy of A Map, Predetermined and Chance. And it's funny because we're sitting here with our our printed manuscripts of of the book so we don't actually have the book right. here with us um, soon 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 um so without further ado i'll i'll read laura's biography from from her website um and it's lauraweatherington.com that's right, right laura so f- folks want to go and uh, google that bring that up now um can read along from home Laura Weatherington, a Virginia native, is a graduate of the University of Michigan's MFA program, UC Berkeley's undergraduate English department, and Cabrillo College. She has poems in or forthcoming from Autoliths, Verse, 1111, Bombay Gin, Oxford Magazine, and Just Magazine. A Map Predetermined in Chance is her first book. A co-founder of TechSound.org, she currently edits the audio journal with Anna Vitali. She has taught creative writing in the University of Michigan's English Department, the New England Literature Program, and Eastern Michigan University's Creative Writing Program. In January 2012, she will join Sierra Nevada College's Low Residency MFA Program. Um, and so, yes, in the interest of full, full disclosure, um, I I know you, Laura, from right. <laughs> the MFA program right. here at Michigan, mm-hmm. and Anna Vitali is um, a, has been a DJ for WCBN for years, and she's away now, but comes back to right. do shows. So right. it's it's all in the family right. here. <laughs> I, I think that Anna was a DJ here for ten or eleven years, so a really long time. She's yeah. she's done her time. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> we miss her. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Anna. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you guys, you while Anna was still in town. And just after um, graduating from the MFA program, Laura, that's when you started TechSound.org. Right. And these the the pieces, the sound pieces that we'll be hearing uh, during the short breaks today are ones you've chosen from TechSound. Uh, 
Tell right. us a okay, little so, bit. Uh, right. There there were four of us originally that started Tech Sound, and, and Anna was kind of the engineer behind it, pulling us together. Um, it was Anya Kobler and Adam Fagan and Anna and myself. Um, and the, the pieces, you know, the last thing that we heard was uh, Dunya Girard's um, To Hear Square. And we'll hear some other things that are from the 11 issues that we've done so far for this online journal of experimental poetry and sound. And this is from 2008. That's when you you began. Right. Well, you know, or- in 2007, we, we started kind of thinking about it. And we spent about six months meeting and talking and thinking and putting it all together and then launched it in 2008. Yeah. And you've, you've actually, you did, I've been lucky enough to talk with you briefly about Tech Sound when you and Anna came to the studio. Yeah. And we've, we've talked about it a, a little bit. So people can check that out as well right. To, right. to learn more. But, yeah. um, but I think it's so, it's so important because sound uh, seems to figure so much into the poems, Laura, into your poems. And, and I wondered if that was a, when the idea for Tech Sound came to you, was it because it was part of your your vision and part of your own creative process in the poems that you saw wasn't really being represented out there in the the virtual world or I w- you know I wish I could take credit for uh, the sound component of that of that journal, but really, I think it came out of um, Anna having tried to do a like um, you know, continuing in the footsteps of John Giorno, who had this dial-a-poem project. Um, so she was trying to get people to call on the phone and leave messages and was really into the idea of doing some kind of sound poetry or, you know, not sound poetry, but some sound-based uh, poem journal. Um, and then, you know, that didn't quite get off the ground when she did it by herself. And so she said, I'm going to try and get these people together. And then all all four of us can maybe think of something that's a little different. And once we all started talking and we all put our juices together, this is what we came up with. Um, yeah, yeah. And did you, because um, I think that ever since I've known you, Laura, like the the, the the experimental aspect of it, the what are the boundaries and why are they there? Um, and it, just because it's classical doesn't mean it's right. Or <laughs> I feel like that might be part of um, your your influence here in Tech Sound. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, from from having uh, researched things for for Tech Sound and trying to figure out what that field is that we're intersecting. I think that's definitely influenced um, the, my more recent poems. Um, but of course, that's why you and I are friends. I think the experimental kind of thing, because we both write in this way that is, um, has a kind of foot in tradition, maybe, or has a, has a foot in... Uh, Something recognizable. Meter and One foot. <laughs> and then has nice. another another foot in the the weirdness of, of language or the weirdness of ideas or the Yeah, I don't know if experimental is, is the right word um, for what I do, but I like weirdness and I like um, you know, stuff I haven't seen before or heard before. And how do you get yourself to that weirdness, do you think? Laura, like, is it a matter of just accepting where you would naturally gravitate towards? Or is it something about um, seeking? I I read uh, things that are further afield than than what I write. 
And so part of it is the seeking. So, uh, for, for example, I was just looking at this book. I'm, I'm writing these um, erasures right now, these Emily Dickinson erasures. Um, and, and so I'm trying to kind of figure out what other people have done. And um, l- looking at this guy, Arnold Schwerner's um, tablets, he's, he did these fake translations of old texts which don't actually exist um and he's got that's some, brilliant it's a brilliant right and he has these like pictograms in there and he's got um you know a, a music sheet in there which you also have in right uh, the book on the i think it's the second poem in right. the first section right I stole that format from from Rob Fitterman. Uh, so that's another example. I mean, this guy is is completely conceptual and does all of these wild things in his books. And and I haven't made it out there, but I like seeing what people are doing on the on the fringes and and trying to incorporate that to some extent in my um, small poems. Because it's stretching. Because then you by putting these these pieces in, it's also um, redefining. The poems that are its neighbors within the oh. collection, too, oh, isn't I like it? That idea. In a, in yeah, a, yeah, in a, in a right. way, mm-hmm. and it makes sense because um, is that part of the reason why you put map in the title, Laura? This idea of like, I don't know, this mapping. I, I have so um, okay. So full disclosure, um, T-, T and I know each other because we went through the MFA program together. We also uh, know each other because, well, full disclosure, because we were neighbors for some years, and and we know each other because this last summer we taught together at the New England Literature Program. So plug for NELP because I love that program and it just and the know, people has, yeah and the people and it has just changed my life it's so amazing and wonderful um but i so one summer i was at this program and i um was thinking about uh tr- trees and their bark because the i wish that i knew the name of the trees that are there um th- but there's a particular one that's all all over this campus in Maine where we live for 2 months and uh the the bark looked a lot like the the um, shower wall as the water was running down. So I was in the shower, I was looking at the shower wall, watching the water go down, and I thought, that's the exact same pattern of the bark that's outside that I stare at every day. Um, and I got really excited about the idea of um, Cage's, you know, kind of chance operations and how no matter how much you try to get outside of nature, you can't. So even if you're leaving it up to whatever fate, or you're leaving your right, you, you're still within some kind of constraint or but some the kind. The patterns of, are still existing, exactly. Even if you don't recognize them as such, right, right. So you might flip a coin to figure out what your poem's going to be, and it's going to end up a poem. There's not any way to get out of that. So I started, um, you know, writing this this poem uh, called "Nature: A Map Predetermined in Chance," and then th- thought the more that I thought about it, I thought this poem is kind of the organizing idea of the book, or it's it's my, you know, my, it just feels like um, part of the core of what's yeah. happening. Yeah, in the seeing. Right, right. So that's that's where that um, came from. And when did the Emily Dickinson erasures begin, Laura? Oh, uh, in 2009. Also, coming home from NELP, I saw um, a book. Uh, Janet Janet Holmes had just published the uh, MS of My Kin, 
um, from from Shearsman, and I uh, looked at that book and and thought, wow, that's wild that she's done these erasures of Emily Dickinson in the Civil War period to kind of have um, Emily Dickinson's voice be this like haunting echo now uh, over the Afghanistan war and the war in Iraq. Um, and so I started thinking about what happens if Emily's voice is gone from her poems and tried to write these erasures that were um, a kind of modern voice or some voice. It's I don't think that I've done it, um, but I'm still trying to, to make some, some voice that's not Emily Dickinson's from her poems. So when you say voice gone, it's some voice that right, must right. remain that becomes your voice or using, some other voice yeah using like the con- the structures of some of the language that's already there using the language that's already there is there a way to make emily dickinson's poems not sound like emily dickinson <laughs> the answer is no <laughs> laura weatherington i don't believe you maybe we can hear one um later. we'll take a short break and i'll twist laura's arm in the meantime <laughs> You're listening to Living Writers today on the program. Laura Weatherington is here. Her book, A Map Predetermined in Chance. We'll be right back. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you've got living writers. And today on the program, Laura Weatherington. Um, she's here. I'm so happy. Uh, her first, her inaugural collection of poems, A Map Predetermined in Chance, uh, out with Fence Books. Um, look for it, because it's, it's just, it's going to be hot off the press very soon. Um, Thanks for having me on the show, T. Oh, it's just great to see you, Laura. Likewise. <laughs> now, this book was is part of the National Poetry Series. It's a winner um, that was selected by C.S. Giscombe. Giscombe. And so t- how did you find out? What happened? Oh. Uh, or <laughs> is that a... <laughs> no, yeah. No. So, well, I, I was at the New England Literature Program, and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a game. We have to this mention it every right? two or three minutes, apparently. Just a quick plug for that program. If you are an undergrad at the University of Michigan or any other school that's on their uh, school schedule, you should look at the program and go. Uh, so I was there and um, received word that uh, I was a finalist for this um, for this award, for you know um, where they publish your book, right, if you win. And I thought... Um, well, I cried a lot because uh, I was so excited and just floored. And I thought, oh, well, that's, uh, you know, amazing. And that's enough. And that's just I'm so flattered and honored. And it's wild and it's crazy. Um, 
Yeah. And and uh, I, I told the dir- director of the program, I ran into him, um, you know, at, in in this hallway and then I started crying again and he was like oh my god and I was like no 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 it's, it's fine and uh, he said well you should you should announce it at dinner and tell the, the students and so I made this announcement you guys this thing has happened and I you know the whole room became this like warm fuzzy hug uh, <laughs> and I feel like that's I feel like that's what did it you know um, so then uh, I got home I think and and Maybe a month later or something, uh, Stephanie Steo from the National Poetry S- Series called me and said, well, you've um, won-, won this thing. And I thought, she's, am I on drugs? I mean, she can't be. Are you sure that you're, did you mean, this is Laura. <laughs> uh, but she was sure. And uh, <laughs> yes, she was. Right. So, yeah, so, I mean, just, yeah, that's, I have no idea how it happened. That's my answer. And, and, and then... Um... And then that was just beautiful. Well, there was energy. There was the the warmth and the and mm-hmm. the mysteries that mm-hmm. happen around poetry. Mm-hmm. That energy of, I think it's because it just needs to be read. It needs to be out there in the world. I hope that folks will will read it. I mean, parts of it are uh, you know sad, and parts of it are nonsensical, and parts of it are funny. And um, yeah. And now, when you say nonsensical, uh-huh. what do you mean? <laughs> Just to be a total difficult person, right? No, I think that's a great question. Um, so uh, earlier you were saying, like, where do you get your um, ideas from sound or where does it come from? So I guess the answer to that is, yes, I get my ideas from sound. So sometimes I'm thinking about language and, and how can we get outside of it, um, and we can't, right? But um, when I'm trying, what I'm... What I first started trying to do with writing poems was to articulate a feeling um, without telling the story behind it. And, like, we can't get outside of language. We can't really describe feelings in any kind of recognizable way. You know, if you think about when you have to go to the bathroom, you know you have to go. But, you know, describe to me how that happens. It's... You know, it's diff- we could get into it, but it's difficult. So um, <laughs> some of the poems that I write are um, circling around a feeling or circling around an inarticulatable, inarticulatable idea. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the sense is not the central component of, of um, sections of, of poems. The feeling is... Not the, not the um, articulated, sensible quality. It's I, the, mm-hmm. the f- either the feeling, um, or the uh, motion toward m- making the sense, and and the the fact that we can't get there. Is there a, a could we read one of the poems sure. from a map predetermined in chance and and then and don't let me forget because we I would like to hop back to that Emily Dickinson erasure too Laura we won't this thing is a little um, long but when I, I guess when I think about the nonsense I often think about this um, poem called Dancing the Bee Hop Woman of the Principal Use Beehive She Bop Mishap the syllables go la, la-da-dee, go long. They go la, 
Women of the principal. She goes on clapping. She's clap happy. And the clock woman, she goes on the prince of limping. That next day was a clap a day. The fantastic D go long, go la. And when the principal dancers came in, they made long lines of concession stands and lined up their young rows with mumps, plump ones. The big to-do list went long. It went la and danced through. I went dominating the she's. I went sidelining the shocks. I went eating the ages of ears. It's a jump along, Cassidy. It's a bee-hop. The next thing about the V, to propose impropriety, a vivisection, anorectomy. Don't tell your mother it's venerating, not relevant to the present situation, i.e., there are chains of prepositions, over, under, in. Your mom's a climb, something I've sewn up. Your mom's a little something, so on a vacation, so plump, so impossible, so what? And now, brought to you by the ocean, whispered, dismay. Paper to its end, agrobodies, acrobats, any possible somewhere, any possible long, and plus and plus and plus, we ain't so number one. When I blow open the sidelong and scream out loud and louder, I am speaking events that happened to me, shoving them into the shed in the back. Out falls a shovel, and the dog makes a dig at the slippers. What I mean to say about the mind happened to me, and the space of mental breakdown, is that this happens to, why are you doing this to me, all of us on some level, though we may repress it for Jungian reasons of letting someone else live out our memories. Oh, the Pope. He go, hmm, and the song starts. She was already singing it in his head. The Pope looks different because he's a changed man. He goes, hmm, he thinks it's all about. I'm pushing a projection line and lining up a profession, a processional of young white robes in yellow teeth and naked underneath. This man leaning out of the left cathedral window going, la, he go, la. Not the valve of betrayal, Jesus. Not because the eyelid flutters or doesn't, she is blind. Color folded in the anatomy of the people. The people's anatomy game starting to buck their system. Unequivocated, la, and I asked for a lawyer. Her mastectomy. Later, to cut the bonsai into a standing woman in armor, flexing her check paw. Barely compression, the night in. I want to lay out a bit of hope for your coming under the door like a letter. First, Fold one leg over the other, then put your forehead to the floor. Sure, it's dirty. Sure, I'm waiting. I'll wait. If this continues on the contingency of nakedness, I'm afraid I'll have to undress. At least undo. I'm closing my hymen. Come close, come close. I'm closing my human. Stamp on it. Put things in a picture and bind it in leather to see the seams. Someone else's ass on the line. It ain't supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be crazy. Air man, what hand did God have in making all of this possible to be missed? Are you missing it? What would it take to be convinced of something you don't already know? 
a regular envelope. Thanks, Laura. <laughs> There's the nonsense. So th- I, that poem, I think, is, is um, you know, there are little bits that you can um, connect together, perhaps, um, of the original intent, which was like thinking through um, how to communicate with another person who's kind of crazy. And, uh, you know, then there's all this other kind of static that's in the background, this kind of nonsensical static that's um, pushing its way through, which is maybe a part of the craziness, but also a part of the way that language fails us or communication fails us. And that thread of the the sound of the law, like to stand in when nothing else. Right. And then the parallel of the hmm. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. But it's but you say so um, self-effacingly that um, or deprecate self-deprecatingly oh. <laughs> that it's nonsense because there's uh, the what you've done is build something that is a vehicle of a of a feeling like the, what's coming through is mm. not something that feels disorienting it feels. Di- direction i mean i'm maybe part of the intent is to have the disorientation but right. it doesn't feel unsafe it feels uh-huh. like there's um in it feels intentional right well <laughs> of course i intended to write the poem i guess exactly I have, <laughs> in the back of my mind i'm i'm a teacher you know and so i'm thinking about um my intro to to poetry students looking at something like this and thinking like what is what is even going on it doesn't make any sense when do you let that part of the voice come in for the the revising of it laura because it's not in the it's not in the generating part it's not in and well you know okay so yes (laughs) so so yesterday uh tony hoagland was here and he uh did this kind of craft talk um before his radio show with you and he said um poems are are tricky because you've got to simultaneously um know what you're doing enough um to be following in someone's footsteps i'm paraphrasing and maybe uh, misarticulating his words, but then also not know what you're doing enough to surprise yourself. Um, so I, the not knowing is important for uh, no art otherwise, right? Yeah. No art otherwise. So, uh, right. So when does the voice come in that set come, come in that says when you're imagining those, those intro to poetry students that are baby feeling like where's my way in or where is my sense making capability so because that feels like a shaper that you wouldn't want to have there at the at the genesis of when you're starting to make mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. a poem mm-hmm. any poem well when, i mean when i'm when i'm talking to students about poetry i try to emphasize the um thinking poem versus the feeling poem and to to know which thing is happening where um and maybe that's a way in but i also very deliberately do not speak to the students about my own poems because i think that's harder than maybe looking at someone else's work and um, being objective so when i'm revising them i just shut that that voice out i'm not 
thinking about how I would explain it to my students. <laughs> I'm so relieved to hear that actually. <laughs> We're going to have to have a talk. <laughs> but it feels like what you when you said it, it also felt like this incredible, like a tender way mm. to think about introducing of like a poem that's both has its like a fragile quality to it because it's a poem, mm -hmm. but also something that is like uh, very tough because it's a poem because it it needs to be out in the world and it's not an easy place to be for a person, let alone a poem, right? Absolutely. Um, so it seems tender that that's a one of the ways you were looking at the making this poem for this poem in particular, mm -hmm. Laura. Mm -hmm. um, it was in smaller sections, small section pieces which you didn't oh, um you right. paused that was uh -huh, the uh -huh. indicator for it uh -huh. and i wondered um when you were if maybe you could talk us through the way you made this poem um oh. did it come hmm. was it somehow the way it appears now mm -hmm. to us mm -hmm. in the, um as we heard it is that the like it the ordering or the logical progression or how, or and did it take months or oh gosh um, so I, I wrote this, this entire book, uh, came together over the course of like six years. Um, so I, I don't, um, really remember that, that, what the poem looked like in its first, second, third, fourth, or fifth or eighth iteration. But um, that's even great to say that it's okay. been in those iterations. Mm -hmm. that's, um, I can yeah I can say that it it maybe came out in a whole um, one whole chunk because usually that's how I write and then it gets you know pared down or something and in, in this case uh, sectioned off and then later I put each section on its own page and I must have moved them around but I I don't yeah I don't think I can answer that in any kind of honest way but you have. <laughs> You have. Uh -huh, you uh -huh. already have. I, and I love how the Pope gets in there. It's like mm. you, there's a changed I man. The Pope. Pardon? <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> a word about the Pope? <laughs> no, there are no words about the Pope. That's the point. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, and it seems so wonderful how you inhabit the sound of the poems. You're not a poet that's afraid to be in the line and in the moments between the words. Mm. You mean like <laughs> in the <laughs> moments between our question and answer? Uh, I like I like silence. So Rosemary Waldrop has written this amazing essay about sound um, in poetry, and she talks about the the silence in the poetry. You know, so so thinking about. Um, the white space on the page or thinking I just love the idea of um, the places where the poem is is not and that being just as active and alive as the the place where the uh, type is and when we come back we'll take a short break um, and we'll hear some more poems from Laura Weatherington her book a map predetermined and chance uh, out this year with fence books we'll be right back
Welcome back. You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, pleased as punch to have Laura Weatherington sitting here in the studio and laughing. <laughs> pleased to punch Laura Weatherington. No. no. Peaceful poet. Oh, the plosives. Uh-huh. <laughs> and thanks to Brian Delaney for engineering, making us sound good, and making... That was a strange sound we just heard on the break, actually, and if you'd like to hear more of it. Oh, yeah, you can go to techsound.org. That was um, Jeremy LeClaire's uh, Swarm of Sun Valley. He overlaid a song like, oh, gosh, a a thousand times or a million times or whatever, and and that's the resulting project. So lots of really bizarre, um, wonderful things happening on that website. I wonder if it took him six years to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Because that sounds like quite a... Quite an endeavor as well. Right. <laughs> so hats off to the artists. Yes. And the poets. <laughs> yes. The musicians. Yes. <laughs> and um, now I feel like we're, we're going to um, launch into a um, some sort of a... You know what? Let's launch into a poem. Okay. Do you mind? That sounds great. I would love that. Sure. Hey, can we do the Emily Dickinson erasure sure. just to, to give folks a sure. chance? Because we were talking about this a little bit earlier. And if you're just joining us, Laura, it's one of Laura's projects um, where you're – go ahead, say it, the voice of Emily Dickinson. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Emily Dickinson has such a distinctive, um, recognizable voice and tone in her poems. And so I, um, after reading Janet Holmes's The MS of My Kin, started wondering if it was possible to erase um, Emily Dickinson's voice and tone. Um, not not that I, you know, hate her or something. Not she's through any favorite. malice. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. She's my favorite poet. But uh, <laughs> she's my favorite besides T. Hetzel. Uh, so wondering if it's possible to do that. And, and I think now after two years of trying this that it's not. But whatever has, has happened in the meantime, I'm enjoying, you know, making these little things. Because what is happening? Is it possible to say... Uh, l- let's let's no, hear it. In it's the- not. No, <laughs> it's a little out of control. No, no. it's not possible to say. <laughs> uh, here's number 15. And these are all from Johnson's um, edition. So number 15. She remembered me. I touched her cradle. She recognized the put on. Uh, here's number 229. My blame affronts my only art. Men should despise calm eyes. Number 61. My wheel is dark. It's dripping. My tide, a clearing some have in employ. The gate flinging back. Number 302. The light, it's like the woods. Private stirs. The morning done. The clocks chime. So those are just a couple out of this, you know, now unruly mess of who knows what. Well, what are, so what are the, when you do an erasure, yes. do you just, each poem, do, is it, is it by chance or is it predetermined? Do you, <laughs> do, you do you, how are you choosing the ones? What are your, do you mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. rules that you apply to each one that you're doing or is it each one has its own sort of rules or convention that you start working within? I, st- I started out with rules 
Um, so I would turn to a random page of the book and whatever was the first full poem on the left-hand side, I would take that one and make it into something. Um, but then I got tired of doing the, that same thing. Uh, so I just started opening to a page and then going as, as far as I could and then flipping to another page and going as far as I could um, with the, whatever poems were there in that grouping. Um, so in terms of the individual poems, I read through it and then try and read o over it, if that makes any sense. Um, what, do you, what do you mean? Well, uh, tr trying to make a sentence that isn't the sentence that's there. So um, I'm trying to think of... Because how do you find... Because it sounds like you have to find push openings in so that something else flows through it somehow. Right. Um, it, it, I, I yeah, it takes... A, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a little bit like a maze, right? So when you're filling out this um, maze in the back of the paper or something, you're, you're um, trying to trace your way to the center and you reach all these dead ends and you have to go back. Um, so it's a little bit like that. You, you may start a sentence like, we grow accustomed to the dark. You think, we grow, and then you realize that there's no way to finish that sentence, so you've got to start back again we or then you start with like grow and turn that into a, a, a direct noun or yeah right exactly something um that's not a noun well you know you turn it into some other part of speech or you uh make it a, a different um animal ask it to do different work mm -hmm. that emily didn't ask of it mm-hmm yeah and it because it makes because it's interesting because you could do uh, with the erasures you could have said well, when I turn to this, you know, this number, right. I'm going to say something about war, right. <laughs> even if it's about a, a garden shrub. Uh huh. Right. Uh -huh. So, so, but you're not doing that. You're you're looking at what's there, looking right. for openings, right, and flowing into them with your self. I think, well, I, maybe it's myself or maybe it's some other thing. I think it's more just, just the looking erasing. at, yes, right, looking at what's there the and filling. trying to make it into uh, not what's there. <laughs> I don't know. How to, yeah. 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 Uh -huh. And then, and, and so, and then wondering, do you start to see threads in it, Laura, or is that part of the earlier no? Okay, so sometimes my uh, self does come in because I start to see like, oh, I'm, you know, making the same kind of jo jokes about female body parts or, you know, like <laughs> Emily would have loved that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that there, right, there are, I guess, threads. I go to the same, I'm iterating the same sentence over and over again on some level. Oh, so that will that that will be what was thank you for reading those and then um and that and and so um and how did you start because it reminds me of this other project that you've got going on these fake translations mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and so this is and you're also writing you're making new poems too these is it sort of this how do the fake translations inform how the new poems you're making too and the Right. So there are two, right, there are two projects that I'm kind of th thinking about uh, right now, the, the Emily Dickinson um, erasures and these um, fake translations from the f French. And I think that they are, are similar in that um, they both are thinking about the kind of 
violence of um, language and of silence and of um, effacing or erasing someone else's words or meaning or mm. intent. Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, st- I started out thinking um, that I wasn't doing a violent thing. Uh, with, with the, the erasures or with the fake translations? Either. Yeah. Either. I thought, well, uh, you know, I thought maybe I'm kind of el- elbowing Emily Dickinson around, but I thought that she might like it. And she can she take it. Around. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think that I thought um, maybe some kind of feminist thing about the, the French translations, because I was thinking, like, here are these male voices that I am, like, inserting a female voice um, into or over or with. Can you tell us a little bit about this project then? Because what's how what's the how do you conceive? Because you let's see, you also um, you taught English for the French Ministry of Education. Oh right, so I lived in France um, for a year before uh, coming to Michigan, and and taught elementary school. And th- there's a long poem in the back of the book that's kind of informed by that experience. Um, or you know, I was thinking about that experience while writing that poem, um, but. Uh, uh, and then you continued with French while you were here. Right, right. Uh, studying. And so then you were, so this is sort of going toward, how did this project start to take shape where you thought this this particular French? I had, well, I had these, I had these um, books from the library um, because I tr- tried to do some translation and I was, um, you know, trying to to both survey contemporary French poetry. I'm really interested in what's happening in France and trying to figure out how to keep tabs on that from over here. Uh, and um, interested in trying to keep up with my French, although that's you know difficult. It's dwindling. Um, but I was so I was trying to translate these poems, and I realized like I would get caught um, caught up in some phrase and wasn't quite able to um, get myself out of it in, in English. so And that kept happening. And so then I decided, well, I'm, t- <laughs> I'm just not going to spend the time to translate this poem. I'm just going to like pretend like I, you know, because I mishear things all the time in real life. And I don't think that there's something wrong with my ears, but I just, I'm a, I'm a soft speaker. I'm kind of a quiet speaker and also a, maybe a quiet listener or something. So <laughs> people say things and I uh, mishear them. So I started to mishear these poems as I was translating them and then um, started to just kind of actively mishear them um, instead of passively mishearing them uh, and then just started to kind of write over them. So I would translate a bit of it or th- or start to think about some word and how it's like a homophonic um, to, to a word in English or how it's a false friend or, you know, so starting to do like weird things with translation and thinking about the way that that language is not translatable. Right. I mean, and people say that thing and maybe it's not exactly true, but it's also true. And um, then. Uh, yeah. And then it just started to get out of control. I mean, both of those projects are now like this unruly, like batch of weeds and I'm you know trying to rein them back in but I no don't do it because you love it I can see Uh uh-huh uh-huh um but it's yeah it's harder to talk about because it start you start out with one idea and then it branches off and branches off and branches off and I haven't quite winnowed it back into a to a project again yet so it's just this 
kind of mountain. Well, we'll take a short break, and then maybe when we come back, will you read one of these sure. fake translations? You're listening to Living Writers. Today on the program, Laura Weatherington, her, her book of poems, A Map Predetermined and Chance, out with Fence Books. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Laura Weatherington. Her book, A Map, Predetermined and Chance. Um, new poems by Laura Weatherington. Um, so let's hear, okay, so we have to, we will hear another poem from the book. <laughs> this okay. is like a teaser. But now, <laughs> at, before the break, we're talking about these fake translations of yours. Mm. So would you, would you mind reading one and giving, to, yeah. giving us a sense of it? Uh, this, um, sure, this, this poem is after um, Jean-Marie Glaise, um, who, who's a guy in Lyon who does a lot of stuff with um, image and uh, text. Um, and talks about post-poetry. I mean, he's kind of wild, and, and, and these poems are not at all related to what he does. But, um... <laughs> you know, and do you... Um, are you... Uh, see, I, do, I don't know this particular poet, and mm. I, now have you sent him any of these, no, Laura? Are no, you in conversation no. with any of the but poets? Some, I'm, I'm, I, so some of these poems just got published um, in Autoliths, which is an Australian um, online uh, magazine, and I, I guess I I hadn't thought about it before, but then I realized like oh I've put all these people's names on these poems like I'm, you know, in conversation with them or like I'm translating them and if they were to see them what would they think? Um, I don't know. I guess I should maybe send him some poems and see, see what he thinks. That would be oh that would be great. Right. I bet maybe. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put my next one is gonna be after T Hetzel. <laughs> I'll have to start my prep brush up on my French, right. my non-existent French. But you say, you say after. So in a way, mm. it's, mm -hmm. it, right. it's not like you're saying it's a, tra you're not actually letting them in on the, the project, but they may want, wonder where them, where right. they, where to see themselves. Exactly. And I don't know how to answer that question yet. Oh, I yet. love that. Okay. <laughs> so my, my father was an athlete. He could cross countries. I must know, in the sense of submersion, what movement through a countryside stays there. The beauty of sense disrobing the plainness of a functional brain. We make no pretense about answers. This is the operative. We discover our future in advance, and therefore our trepidations define us. I must know, in the sense of submission, 
what the world thinks under specific conditions. One thing is situated, this mode of movement through a countryside. Plains and plains and plains of history and sadness struggles to emerge. Contentment can coexist with loneliness. It's one way of being serious. Thank you, Laura. I, so, so this poem uh, reminds me of one of the first uh, ways that I knew that your poems were different from everybody else's that I was reading. Oh. And I, part of it was the, um, the, the movement within them and the, the knowledge of the dynamic of movement, hmm. which I think is somehow involved with some of the other hats that you've worn in life, hmm. um, knowing the body, um, uh, m massage therapist, uh, the, this, right. uh, this other um, the path into energy channels of bodies, the dynamic right. of energy flowing through the body, moving through a poem. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Is, is this something that you are great, aware of <laughs> in uh, your poems, or is it something that because it's part of who you are, it wouldn't be something you necessarily... What do you think, Laura? Um, I think, I think that there was a moment years ago where I felt like I had this huge epiphany that like, um, you know, the body work that I was doing, thinking about, um, um, the, the nervous system and thinking about energy work and, um, also thinking about poetry and how, how the brain functions with language, um, and I think there was a third facet, something else I was fascinated with at the moment. Anyway, those those things all were the same thing, and it was just all kind of communicating um, in the in the same like tunnel into my brain, and all of my life was gonna neatly tie up and 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 be the same thing. Uh, oh, teaching probably teaching was the maybe the third facet, and um, I guess that feels less. Um, strong now that epiphany feels less true um but i'm absolutely fascinated with the way that the brain works and how that turns into language and how that informs the the you know um autonomic kind of uh the way that our bodies move that we have control over and the way that our bodies move without our control like our blinking or our heartbeat or you know so all of the kind of communication that's happening in the body feels like a kind of poem to me on some level. Um, and sometimes maybe that makes its way into the poetry. And I, uh, yes, I, and I wonder how the, the page um, or the, the way the poem appears, mm -hmm. the physicality of the poem hmm. is, could be directly related to your your knowledge or belief about physicality or mm -hmm. because you are paying attention to that to um, like the, sh the shape you mean of yeah. the poem on the page or y yes or as simply as as that uh, that i mean i mean it in that way as well as um yeah how you're you're moving pieces around how uh i mean i, th I think that that thing is maybe as as simple as 
you know, not wanting to write the same poem over and over. Because when I first started writing poems, they were all um, one chunk, and they were all 12 lines. And that was all I did, and I did that over and over and over again. And no matter what I did, I could not get it any longer than 12 lines, and I couldn't get it any shorter. When did you and when did you start writing poems, Laura? Oh, okay, well maybe that's when I, uh, I. I guess I'm thinking about like in in undergrad, so like, which for me was um, <laughs> maybe around 25. But um, it, I first started writing poems, of of course, when everyone does, you know, like in elementary school or whatever. And those, the other day, I found this. Um, <laughs> this framed poem that I had written in, in the eighth grade, I think, and it was so awful and um, metric and just, you know, uh, melodramatic. Melodramatic. And it had... Can you remember a, a phrase or a line from it? 